It's story time at Disc Radio. And there's a story coming from us to you. Hello there. Welcome and thank you for joining us. If you've listened to the rest of the episodes, a big props to you for making it all the way to our final discussion. One that I can gladly say finally seems to have gone off without much of a hitch. It's a beautiful conversation, beautiful topic, and a great way to cap off our season. Thank you all, and I hope you enjoy. Hello there, and welcome to Disc Radio. I'm your host, Connor, and we're here uh, with a good friend of mine to start another journey on our question session. Uh, hey, Sasha, how are you doing? Hi. Hi, Connor. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed. And I don't know, it looks like it's very sunny where you are. It's very sunny here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so here it's no longer, like, you can't see the sun anymore. Like, it's overcast again. We, we got a bit of sun, like, earlier today, but it's such a gift, isn't it? Like, into, I don't know, what has it been like in The Hague? Because for us, it's been raining pretty much, like, every day, almost nonstop. So every day of sun, you you, like, come to especially value yeah yeah i think uh it's been we've got a few days of sun recently and every time i look out it, it's that time of weird time of year where you look outside and you think oh a t-shirt and then you walk out and you're like oh no t-shirt yet like right it's, <laughs> it's taunting us with with the yeah. taste of summer mm-hmm. yeah that, that's actually like one of the that's the sentence that i think um russian school children know from or like russians know from elementary school uh, that's like one of the first one that where you learn things about conjunctions and sentence structure is, um, well, in Russian, it's Sonce svetit no nigreet. So the, the sun shines, but it's not warm yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So so that's our that's our Russian for today. The sun is shining, but it's not warm yet. Uh, so that's a great, a great introduction to the show. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, now, you and I know each other, uh, and we could tell a little bit of that story of how we met uh, and how this episode came to be, but no one else listening uh, knows you yet, so so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the world? Oi! Uh, <laughs> how, do, how do I even do that? Um, I'm Sasha. Um, I'm joining from Zeppelin, Germany, and I'm originally from Russia, from Kazan. Um, which is a city in the relative west of, of uh, Russia, halfway between Moscow and the Urals, roughly. Um, and I am a PhD candidate in computational linguistics, or I guess cognitive science would be maybe a more uh, kind of a more easy to explain or grasp um, concept. What else? What else should I say? Well, that that's a good start. I, I think I, I would be curious if you could explain a little bit more about the cognitive science, computational linguistics stuff. That's right. I'm uh-huh. curious. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that I look at, um, I 
basically the individual differences in cognition and language processing, which um, simply explained is why we are different, right? Because you have um, cognitive psychologists traditionally conducting experiments um, and looking at kind of an effect of a certain of a certain phenomenon on average. And you say like for the population on average, there is this, this and this effect. Um, and then there is, of course, there's individual variation that you normally just discard as, as noise. Um, and there is now a recent, very exciting trend, I think, um, in like cognitive science, in pragmatics, I guess, is the, is the subfield to look at, um, kind of the, underlying differences and, and look at them and see that there is actually more of a, more of a pattern to it and it's systematic and it's actually like a meaningful question to look into um, why we are kind of different. What are the kind of cognitive differences, personality differences that underlie the fact that maybe we see the world slightly differently and like use language slightly differently from each other. Wow. Fascinating question. I need to, I need to remind myself not to ask too many follow-ups because we'll get, uh -huh. <laughs> we'll get sidetracked to the other questions that that we have planned and talked about. Um, well, that's wonderful, and I think uh, you know, the last few years have kind of restricted our travel and and our journeys, and kind of you know left us in our homes and in our bubbles. Um, and that one of my favorite things about traveling is meeting people who are very different. Uh, and, and having that, that kind of classic on the road experience of a, of a long conversation with someone you never met uh, and, and going into this different world of, of traveling and exploring and kind of meeting new people and new perspectives and new ideas and how that challenges you um, as you go on your, on your physical journey as well. And the reason I bring it up is because, uh, Sasha, you and I met uh, in one of these rare 2021 travel uh, adventures. That's right. Um, where we talked about all different kinds of things, uh, you know, and, and really got to some of the points of why we are different. Um, so would you like to tell or, or should I tell a little bit of how we met? Um, I mean, I can probably tell a little bit and then you can fill in whatever um, you would like? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I was in Bonn for a conference uh, for a weekend, and um, I was staying at um, a hostel, in, which for me was a fairly random hostel, right? Uh, and for you, I guess it wasn't. Um, yeah, I just was looking for something close to the city center. Um, and yeah, I think it was like my last night, and I think maybe you stayed there a bit longer, but... Um, yeah, we just kind of, kind of randomly ended up in the same in the same room at this hostel and just kind of started talking, and it turned turned into, I mean, this really exciting conversation, like one of my highlights, absolutely, of uh, the end of last year. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely for me also also a highlight, and like I said, that that hidden gem of traveling. Uh, mm -hmm. Indeed, it it was a less than random hostel for me. Um, though I, I will also tell people in the future now that I was also in Bonn for a conference. Um, <laughs> perhaps it was a beer drinking conference, but it was still a conference. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really exciting, wonderful conversation. And we, we covered so much ground and there were so many things to follow up on that actually uh, last week we had another very long, uh, very exciting, very interesting follow up conversation. 
um, related to to this conversation that we're going to have uh, now. Um, and so you have been been prepared for this because I we talked about it even before Christmas, uh, and now we are in early February. Um, so you've had a lot of time to think about these these big exciting questions. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I mean, am I supposed to be nervous? I'm a little nervous. Um, I, I can't say that I spent the entire time thinking about these big important questions. Well, I mean, we all we we all of us, especially when when we're academia, we think about questions all of the time. Um, and maybe they're they're not always big and exciting, but they're always questions. Um, as for should you be nervous? Well, I'm nervous, uh, so you don't have to be. I will be nervous. All right, that's comforting. Yes, I will be nervous for you. For us uh, both. And then, yeah, exactly. And then you you can just uh, just go ahead and do your thing. Um, and that thing is is to answer this big question that we've been asking people uh, over the course of this project. And that big question is. Uh, what story changed your life? I mean, that's that's like a big question indeed. Uh, can I ask a couple follow-up questions to the question? Please, please do. Um, how do you understand story? Like, is it something that happened to you or something you learned? What is the difference? Ah, well, so something you heard someone tell you or something that you were actually like, more actively participated in? Well, I think we have seen over the course of, of the previous show, previous episodes, um, that the line becomes very blurry, right? Yeah. So, of course, you and I can both read a book. Uh, we can read the same book, but it depending on where we read it and when we read it and what's going on in our lives, that reading of that book will be very different for each of us. And I think anybody who's reread a book that they read when they were a child. And then as an adult, that becomes very apparent. The first time I read Lord of the Flies was like, oh, this is a fun adventure. Uh, really? you know, it would be so cool to be on the island. You know, I was, I was a boy. I wanted to be a wild boy. And then when I was <laughs> older uh, and read it again, I was like, oh, this is not fun. Um, this, yeah. is, this is real serious stuff. Right. Uh-huh. So, so what this makes me think of, I mean, that, that's so interesting. That for me, it was like chilling right away, even though I didn't, um, at that point when I read it as a teenager, didn't quite like understand all of it. it. It still felt kind of dark, but one thing, um, one book that I think very much fits with your, with what you're describing in my experience is, um, the little prince. Like that's just right. Like, um, it seems to be a book for all ages. And then it was as a child, just such a, lovely little story and just like really charming him visiting all these planets and like developing a connection to a rose and then when i reread it as an adult i just realized it's just so sad there's this underlying melancholy that it just like like permeates everything uh, so that somehow like i didn't at all pick up on as a child yeah but to come back to to your question um my simplest definition of a story is a shared emotional experience. Um, who you are sharing with that with and how you're sharing, well, that's context dependent. Aha. Uh -huh. So it could be that you are sharing that experience, you know, that, that story that changed your life was the one that you heard someone else tell. Um, and then you were sharing with them. It could be the same with the author, um, that you're sharing an emotional experience with someone who wrote a book hundreds of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. Or it could be something that you've, literally have done shared with yourself and the people around you 
and then you're going to turn around and either way you're going to share it with us mm -hmm. i hope that helps yeah that's a nice broad definition <laughs> yeah we didn't get any deeper that's for sure <laughs> great uh well in that case i think i have an answer um well but but, but also could i say um when I, because you had shared this question with me before and I had some time to think about it. Um, at first I had the feeling that like, that's such a big, like a bit bombastic question, right? What, what is the term, what is the big story? But then I realized that like, it doesn't need to be interpreted like that, right? Like, I, I guess little things influence our lives all the time in all sorts of meaningful ways. And I think for instance, right, if I had stayed at a different hostel, uh, or you had come to Bonn at a different time than we wouldn't have met, for instance, right? And that that means that this is kind of, this has changed our lives in some way also. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I think I have one. Um, I grew up in Russia, right? But then... Um, I went to college in the United States and um, in Minnesota, in the Midwest. Um, and when I was, when I was about to be done, um, so at the end of my senior year, everyone kind of was starting to plan ahead what was, um, what was going to be the next step and the next place for them to go to. Um, and there came the time, like, I think it was the final, like, half a year or something when everyone was just, like, so excited about, uh, or seemed to be, at least to me, so excited about the next step. And people were sharing, like, the, the jobs and, like, PhD positions and internships and all the exciting, um, like, volunteering um, experiences they were about to have and just how they, how excited they were about embarking on them soon. Um, and for me, I felt like, I felt really at a junction um, and I really wasn't sure, um, like I applied for a couple jobs, but not, nothing felt quite right. Um, and the time kind of drew near, uh, like near and near when I had to make that decision. And I actually landed a job at, um, a tech company, a big tech company in the Silicon Valley. And... Uh, that's kind of when the point came to kind of try and figure out what whether that was right for me or not. And I think like one thing that makes it into a meaningful experience for me is just the reflection on um, kind of my external vision of what's right for me. And then the very strong external, um, I don't want to call it pressure, but I guess ex external um, ideas about... Um, what kind of success would be for me or what a good life would be for me. Um, because basically um, quite a few people told me when, when I, when I told them that like, I wasn't quite sure um, whether or not that that was something like whether or not I should take that job. Quite a few people, people said something like, well, so many people want that job. Like, isn't that going to be a, an incredible experience? Isn't that going to be like something really good for you? And also something to put on your resume and like those kinds of things. Um, and I suppose it was tempting. Um, like it definitely was, especially since I didn't have that many other options. Um, well, my other option was um, this master's program in 
kind of the middle of nowhere of Germany. I mean, it's it's a pretty uh, well-known master's program. Um, but the thing is, I had never lived in Germany before. It would have been kind of a big uh, change of direction is what it felt like. Because I, had, at that point, spent five years in the U.S. Um, and kind of felt like, in a sense, I've invested the time and effort into... Um, and feeling at home there, understanding the people around me, understanding the culture around me, um, and then just kind of leaving uh, for yet another country, another continent. Um, and so it was just kind of, for, for a long time, I just really couldn't decide what it is that I wanted to do. Um, and I kept hearing, I mean, also other people's voices, but also my own voice in my head, something like, well, isn't that going to be... Um, so if I did take that job in California, like, w wouldn't that be, a, um, I mean, just kind of a success story to tell myself and to tell people. Um, but then one thing that I started noticing is that it was just kind of very hard. Um, when it, like I found myself sitting, let's say at brunch with, um, some of my classmates, um, and they would be so excited, excitedly sharing what the next step was for them. And I would just, you know, like when my turn came around, I would just kind of mumble, well, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, like take this job at this company in California. Um, and it just like, I don't know, it didn't, didn't feel right. I didn't think I was, um, I, I didn't feel like um, I was sharing kind of my own life. It felt like I was about to go and live someone else's life is uh, what it kind of felt like. Um, and I, but I still wasn't ready to make a decision either way. Um, and then, oh, there's the siren uh, that I think I told you about. Um, yeah. Um, but then I was having lunch with this lady um, who I'd been kind of volunteering with um, so she is an ESL and English as a second or foreign language um, teacher for adults uh, at a local community school. Uh, and I was kind of helping her out and volunteering there with some other students from my college. And I was having lunch with her and she asked me um, kind of what, uh, well, but she had heard that I'm graduating soon and she congratulated me on that. And then asked, so, so what's kind of the next chapter for you? And I really just couldn't couldn't bear telling her that I was going to go and uh, take that job in the Silicon Valley. Um, and that was kind of what what did it for me, uh, because after that, um, like I went home and I made that decision to go to Germany. Um, and that's just kind of interesting. I mean, kind of reflecting on it in hindsight. Um, it's just so interesting that there were signals all along of something feeling right or not feeling, or at least something not feeling right. I had about Germany. I had no idea at that point how, what that was going to be like, that just felt like a, I mean, just a step into the unknown almost entirely. Um, I mean, I, I guess I would be continuing my studies, which is always, um, I mean, something good or like an, a step in some meaningful direction, but, um, Apart from that, it seemed to be like uncharted territory. But um, it's just kind of interesting that I was ignoring the signals that I had actually felt all along that this 
about what didn't feel right and what felt like maybe an externalized version of a good life, uh, right? But not a, not a, where for a lot of people it actually would be, um, but it's not something that the life that I wanted to live. Um, and like, I'm really, when I was thinking about this story, I realized I'm very wary of this sounding like um, I am judging one of the paths like better than the other. Like, I absolutely not. I think um, this would have been an excellent job for someone else and like would have, and definitely probably was, uh, and would have been, I mean, as good of a path to follow um, in, but it just wasn't for me personally. Um, and I think it's just kind of, I, I'm really glad that I listened to those voices that kind of were getting louder um, inside of me that that wasn't the path that I wanted to follow. But it is interesting to think sometimes about like how my life would have looked if I had. Well, <laughs> always interesting to, to look back on the what ifs and the what could haves. Mm-hmm. Um, first, thank you for sharing the, this wonderful story of, of the path and the journey and, and the signals that so many questions already um, coming up to mind. I'm wondering, because I think for everyone, it's clear when you talk about the external success of the big tech company in Silicon Valley, that's what everyone who is in any field that relates to that could say is, well, that's the best, you know, why why not? Mm -hmm. Um, But you haven't talked, you haven't told us about what were those internal signals? Um, What was kind of missing from what you were looking for in the right path? Uh, and, Mm -hmm. And how did they kind of come up to you as you were going through the thought process? Right. Uh, so I think a couple I mentioned, it was when, when I was, when I talked to other people, it felt like I wasn't excited to share that that's something that I was going to do next. And, and when I tried to imagine myself in that position and on that path, I couldn't quite, like, I think I, I, I mean, I could, but again, it was a very, it was this feeling of, well, I'm about to, um, go and play a role in a movie where I'm kind of, I, I'm playing myself but I'm not really myself. Um, And in terms of what would have been missing, I think for me, I mean, this is kind of tricky because because I think, again, I I don't want to be, uh, I don't want this to come off as me somehow passing judgment on anything because I'm not. And I think a lot of these tech companies do, um, like, they're their faults notwithstanding, they still provide like products that are, that we all use, right? And um, that do have kind of social value and benefit. Um, but I think for me, one part that was, uh, so one thing that I uh, remember looking at, at one point, I, I started looking for housing in the Bay Area and um, I found this like commune that seemed really cool with people who are um, interested in social activism and just seem to be very kind of environmentally aware, and they had an like an income bracket for uh, for the people who the, who they even considered uh, as future tenants. And I, with that job, would not have fit in, and that already felt I don't know that somehow did not feel quite right. Even though I mean, obviously, if there are things you can do with money if you have it, of course you can um, donate it you can do something meaningful with it. But that was kind of a, one of the, that was another point when I, I, I found myself kind of feeling uncomfortable. 
Um, and I think another thing was just kind of thinking about, yes, maybe that is something that like, I would be working towards producing something that a lot of people would use. Um, and something that could be useful, but also it just felt like to me, it was too far removed from, uh, so, so there was this commercial element in the mix, right. And also just like working on projects that I personally probably wouldn't have had much control over. Oh, I'm, I'm very interested. Um, I don't think I've ever heard a story uh, where somebody has said, I, the job is paying me too much money. I don't like the way that feels. Uh, uh -huh. I think it's very common for us to, to say the other one, that job is not worth it. I would never do that for this many euros a day or an hour or whatever. Um, but you've kind of taken it the other way and turned it on its head and said, no, no, I'm not comfortable with having that much money um, because it restricts the rest of the way I want to live my life. Mm -hmm. um, so as a student now, uh, for many years, do you still feel that way about money? <laughs> um, I like, um, well, that, I think that's a really good question. I, I hadn't realized that that was kind of an unpopular way to feel, um, or maybe an uncommon way to feel. I think it's, okay, I haven't thought this through, so this is just kind of a, um, me trying, me just like thinking as I'm speaking, but I guess when you have more money, uh, you can, it's harder to, I guess you still can say, well, I'm putting most of it aside or I'm donating most of it. And then I'm still choosing to live my life in a way that is very kind of aware of resources and um, of kind of the climate and the fact that most people don't have those resources, uh, those resources, right? And those means, um, I think you can still do that, but I think that's more difficult. And I think it's also, um, I remember at one point I um, did an internship also in California, not at a tech company, at a research institute, but still it was fairly well paid. Um, and I found myself feeling quite uncomfortable because I, um, yeah, so this is kind of, if you don't mind, I'll go on a bit of a, yeah. Um, so I, I, this internship was in LA and I had a great three months at that institute, but I think what, it was a quite interesting living experience because I, um, at first I had never been to LA before and I had to find housing for three months uh, and I didn't have a chance to kind of go and visit and I didn't have friends there who could, could go and see the places for me so it had to be done online um, and I first found a room in an apartment um, in central LA close to the main uh, campus of the University of Southern California and I thought well that's going to be nice and safe right there, there is a university nearby uh, and that was kind of just kind of funny. I, I arrived there and um, I, I arrived at LAX and I went to the information desk and I asked, um, okay, so I looked it up and it seems like this is the bus that I can take to this, uh, um, to this place. Is that correct? And then um, 
the person at the information desk just kind of looks at me for a couple of moments and says, the bus, are you serious now? Please take a taxi. Uh, and um, at that point, of course, I'm not feeling too um, encouraged about the choice, the housing choice that I've made. Uh, and then I get into the taxi and then I tell the taxi driver the address and they kind of look at me too for a moment and they say, are you sure? Take care of yourself there. <laughs> and so uh, at that point, like when I finally get there, it's, I mean, um, I suppose it could have been worse, but I think that was one of the first experiences that I had where I like felt actively not too safe. Um, and yeah, so then I talked to my roommate, uh, who was the person who was going to be my roommate, um, who was very sweet and very welcoming. And I asked her, well, so I heard from multiple people now that this is not a very safe area. So is there anything, is there any way in which that you find that affecting your life? And she said, no, no, that's, it's fine. You just do, you know, the normal things you, um, when you, are walking down the street you don't look around you don't take your phone out you just like walk confidently and briskly and nothing nothing bad will happen to you uh, <laughs> yeah um and so then i stayed with her for about half of that summer um and then i felt like i wasn't feeling too comfortable um and so then i actually ended up moving somewhere else that was like a very very nice airbnb in a much safer neighborhood for which I paid, I think, twice as much. Um, and that felt like, I had, I don't know, I, I had a hard time with it because I think thinking about all the people who can't make that change, right? Who just are, I mean, because of the fact that they're limited financially, they can't afford to move to these kinds of like fancy neighborhoods that would provide them with the comfort and safety, um, which I mean is a systemic problem problem of course but then to that like at that point I, I was just kind of thinking to what extent is that in that case uh something that I feel good about doing just because I I do have the means I happen to have the means to um at the time yeah yeah I think it's interesting also to ju juxtaposition it now with your life in Germany where public transport is universal um and there would be i would say you would be hard pressed to find a place in germany where someone would say you don't take the bus because it's not safe um at least in my experience i found that everywhere public transport uh, across germany is really safe and accessible so it sounds like that 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 also had quite a quite a heavy influence then on looking forward to moving to california full-time um Possibly, possibly. I mean, I think I would have, again, with that job, had the means to live somewhere nice and safe. Um, but I think that was, again, a question of whether or not that's something that I would have necessarily felt very comfortable doing. And I think that's, that's generally always a question that, I, that, I mean, going back to uh, what, what I said about, like, not feeling too comfortable having too much money, um, is that... I don't know. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have, there would be all of these kind of questions that I would have to answer for myself um, about how to, how to live, given the fact that I do have a range of options. Um, yeah. But I think you kind of spare yourself if you don't take a job like that. 
Uh, so there is some kind of difficult moral decision that can be avoided exactly. by, by saying, well, I just don't have money, so I don't have to worry about yeah, what to do with it. Yeah, I don't have to worry about that. Oh, cool. Well, we, we, <laughs> we will mark this and, and come back to it because I, I don't want to lose the thread of your of your story because I have another question about your first story. Um, you you kind of told us that you had this like building momentum of some kind of reservation of every time that people asked you, okay, what are you doing? And then ah, I'm going to do this. Uh, and it all came to a head at brunch with this, mm-hmm. this mentor, uh, helper figure that you were working with. And I'm wondering if you can take us back to that brunch um, and kind of, do you remember how you responded to the question? Um, did you discuss it with her about what you should do or did you kind of just avoid the subject and move on to the rest? These are nice pancakes and, you know. Right. Uh-huh. No, that, that's a really good question. I'm trying to remember if I, so I definitely didn't discuss kind of my moral quandary with her. Um, I, but I'm trying to remember if at that point already I had said, I'm, I might have at that point already said I'm going to Germany. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think because I think one of her, um, well, if, if it turns out not to be the case, then I feel like she's the only person who would know. And she probably doesn't remember as well, like either at this point. Um, but otherwise, let's just say, if I am making this up, then I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm just taking creative liberty. Um, so I think I remember her responding with something like, oh, I lived... Um, in Prague for a while. And that seemed, that that was wonderful. Um, So I think like now reconstructing it, it seems like it would have made sense in that context that I had told her that I'm going to Germany, Um, which I mean, definitely wasn't decided. And I wasn't, was actually actively leaning against it uh, for the like preceding weeks. Um, So so I think it was probably, I, uh, we were eating brunch and we were talking about, I think just the, um, how the volunteering has been going and about our students. Um, and then she brought up the graduation question and that kind of took me, I mean, I knew she would probably ask, um, but then that, that was, I knew that people started asking, like that, that, that just was a question that started popping up in conversations. I think like the closer graduation loomed. Um, but I always kind of avoided thinking about it too much. I kind of blocked it in my mind uh, because I didn't have a like satisfying answer that I wanted to give. Um, but with her, I kind of, I, I think I had to say something. Um, and I mean, now it seems to me uh, that I think I just told her in the moment because I couldn't bear to tell her that I was taking the uh, Silicon Valley tech job um, that I just told her that I was going to move to Germany and do a master's, uh, which I, th- I mean, now, now I don't know if I'm just reconstructing this, uh, but I think that that was probably like fairly unexpected. Uh, the fact that like at that point, that almost felt like a decision that came to me, uh, which I then went back after brunch and finalized on that day. Uh-huh. So, so it, it almost fell out um, that it had been fermenting for a long time. And then you opened your Apparently. mouth to say, uh, oh, I'm gonna, you know, yeah. Um, so was there a moment after that, um, or, or when was the moment after that when you kind of had that, this was the right decision feeling? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is interesting because I think the whole time I didn't know if the other option would feel right. I just knew that like that one didn't. Um, 
I think, I mean, my whole life, <laughs> starting from that point, or at least like from, from the point when I, uh, maybe a couple months after I'd arrived in Germany, maybe sooner, um, has been just a continual um, kind of reinforcement of the thought that I uh, had made the right decision. Um, I mean, I don't know, to, to the extent to which that's even like an applicable way to think about things, right? Because I think, I mean, I could have probably taken that job and then I would have learned more about how that world works, which, I mean, it is kind of a very influential part of our society. So I think I would have like learned something about it and maybe contributed because of the fact that these questions of like inequality um, like bothered and do bother me still, uh, I think maybe I would, would have like found different ways of dealing with them um, in that environment. So I think like that also wouldn't have been, probably wouldn't have been the wrong decision. Um, but I think this feels like, so, so I think one of the ways in which I feel like this is the right decision to the extent that any decision is right um, is that now I no longer have the feeling that I'm living someone else's life or that I'm playing someone's role in a movie. Instead, um, yeah, instead I feel like this is actually my life that I'm living, if that makes sense. And so have you noticed a change in everything else? Like as you've kind of felt like you're having more control and you're actually living your own life, um, have other things started to change around you that you felt more autonomous over your own decision making and that you have control over things now? Yeah, I think so. Um, so actually one thing that comes to mind is um, the fact that m much more recently, so in the, um, in the summer of 2020, um, in the midst of the pandemic, I was actually done with my master's. And once again, I had the question of what to do next, right? Um, and I found a job in uh, the Netherlands and I actually moved there for a year. Um, and there were a lot of things, I mean, um, my, so it was a research position too. Um, so my supervisor and my collaborators were, I mean, fantastic people. And I think in a lot of ways it was a great experience, but then there was again, the, the feeling of, um, that just not necessarily being at this point thematically what I wanted to be working on. And, uh, I had felt like I had committed to it for like for four or five years, I think it was a four year project. Um, and I don't know that that again didn't feel right, but at this point, like I think I already had an experience to fall back on, of um, kind of listening to to myself and allowing myself to kind of change the course. And um, so what what happened basically is um, I quit that job and then I moved back to the same city in Germany where I had lived before, um, and basically found my current PhD position and. That I, I just also I think a lot of people again ask me why um, because I think I mean I th this is another story but I think there is this whole like bashing culture around the city that I am in especially among like international people right because I mean I personally find it charming I think there is just so much um, like so so much good activity that's going on around it like both like political musical cultural different kinds of things like for its size I think it's just a fantastic place and I feel very much at home here. Um, but I think a lot of people say, well, this is like, is this the place where you really want to spend like another five years of your life? Um, and then at this point, just like having the, well, like at, at least this was no longer something that I worried about. Like I worried about, well, is this 
something that feels right to me? Is this a job that I'm going to enjoy? Um, but then like, it was a lot easier for me to just say, yes, like, this is actually, this is the, this is where I want to live. Like, maybe this doesn't sound, maybe like that surprises you, but I personally am quite confident that this is like, this is where I want to live my life. And this is where my life feels like my life. Um, are you a person who listens to your gut instinct always? Ah, that's a really good question. Um, so I think this is making me think of a conversation that my best friend and I have been having. And like, we both grew up in, um, the same city in Russia and both under kind of strained financial circumstances. And also just like in the general culture where, and I think this is something that's been changing a little bit. Um, but when we were growing up, it seemed like there was just so much, like, I mean, you didn't even ask yourself the question of what, it, what is it that I want to do? Because I think that's a certain luxury, right? To be able to um, even ask that question. And I think for us, it was basically, we had observed our parents like in their financial struggles and the fact that like that was making ends meet was always a concern. Um, and I think for both of us, it was just kind of a natural thing. Um, well, we want to do something practical or not that we want to, it's just like some, that's what you do, right? And so... Um, I think there were, there was a point. Um, yeah, actually, I, I didn't always do cognitive science. I uh, started out studying classics in my uh, in my bachelor's, and that that was this is something that I still very much love. I really enjoyed Latin. I really enjoyed like ancient history classes and seminars. Um, but then, and so that I actually like declared classics as my major. Um, two years in and then, well, because that, that was just something that felt exciting. And then there was the whole, the whole rhetoric of, um, well, follow your, like make your dream come true, you know, like uh, follow your dreams. And then at one point I just kind of realized, well, I just, I, I don't think I, I can necessarily afford it given the practical constraints of uh, kind of the bigger picture. And so that that's when I, that's when I switched. And I think, I can probably, and I don't know what my gut was telling me at that point. I think, and I don't know where the gut is there. There's the kind of the dream mentality. There is the practical mentality. I think maybe I didn't necessarily have a gut feeling at that point. I just kind of had something that maybe I maybe wanted to do or that in my kind of dream reality, I would be doing, would be, maybe be a classicist. Um, and then, but I think I, I didn't really spend much time kind of dwelling on the fact that this is, a practical impossibility and that maybe for someone else, like it is a possible path. And for me, for practical reasons, well, I mean, I, I suppose I could have done it, but it just like based on the background and how my background and how I grew up, I wasn't ready for something that, that is that much of a risk uh, professionally. Uh, but I think there's still, I mean, we all have constraints probably. Um, and I think there's still a lot of exciting things that I have been able to do. And I still have been able to, uh, joy in uh, kind of the, the classics department here in Germany and like get to know the people here and uh, collaborate with them and do some fun kind of um, Latin reading groups and things and even a spoken Latin course uh, at one point. Yeah, so, so, so I think that was a, that, that's also something that I found. Like, I think there's, there are ways of kind of reconciling different interests and may, maybe there is one main path but i think there are all sorts of side quests that are possible yeah 
yeah i think i think that you know the dreams will always come back to us as if we keep moving forward and i think we see that also in, in your journey that you've been able to reconnect with this classics after doing all of these other choices um but you you talked a little bit about kind of things that i wanted to bring back to to our discussion mm -hmm. about um everything you've been saying about the internal voices versus the external voices and kind of this idea um that we've been working out about uh, what to do about money and, and you have too much and you have to make these these difficult decisions um and you you said a word that's really really sticking in my mind now about risks um and so i'm wondering like it, it's touching on a common discussion that i have been having recently about travel international travel um and looking in the context of things like climate change uh, mm -hmm. and, and privilege right so is it okay for me to fly wherever I want in the world uh, to see the places that will be in 10 to 20 or to 50 years uh, gone because of climate change. Um, because I can do it now. I have the money and the flights are going and it's not like if I don't buy the ticket, the plane won't fly. Um, but am I contributing to that, to the you know larger systemic failure of the system, of, of the planet, <laughs> the system of the planet? Um, <laughs> and that's what my internal voice is, is saying. Uh, but so is your internal voice telling you that you should stop, like try to contribute less to that? I would say my internal voice is not saying try. Uh -huh, uh -huh. My internal voice is very, it's got an attitude, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, and then do you have external voices that you... Well, I, I think I think that we see there is some kind of discourse going on in public about should we, you know, it is kind of a <laughs> question. Um, but then it came up because there's so many people around me and my networks that are like, well, finally things are open again. So we're all traveling this summer. Everyone that I've talked to is going here or there or wherever. Um, so, yes, there are lots of external voices in that crowd. And I am kind of you know, your story really resonates with me in the sense of going around the table. Oh, we're going to go here. We're going to go here. And when it's my turn, it's like, uh, what do I say? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's this is very tricky, right? And I think one of the things about, so, and this is something that I've also spent like a lot of time thinking about and haven't quite reconciled for myself. So for instance, one of the things that I'm still thinking about is, well, I haven't ruled out the idea of, I don't know, like a, going back to the U.S. Uh, for professional or personal reasons in the future. But then uh, one of my questions is exactly that. Like, I would still want to see my family, which would still be, I, I have a lot of ties in Europe. My family is still in Russia. Uh, and that would mean regular travel, transatlantic travel, which is like hell of bad for the planet. Uh, I, remember, um, I remember seeing the stats somewhere that... Um, going vegan for a year like going from regular meat consumption um like average meat consumption of um at, to going vegan for a year it, like how what you save on emissions is equivalent to one round trip uh from europe to uh the us and back so this is really like it, it's a major it's a major way that you contribute i think to you that individuals contribute to climate change um and i think a similar i mean i'm also just very unsure about this. I think that there isn't really a very easy answer, right? Because um, I was also thinking about how it's an exciting part of um, doing a PhD and generally an academic career is that you get to travel a lot. And that's this is something that everyone says. And um, 
for the past couple of years, because of the pandemic, it hasn't been possible. And now it seems like things are opening up again. And I'm, so I have a couple things later this year, like a, um, a summer school in Ireland that is hopefully going to take place in person and a conference in Canada, which is possibly going to take place in person. Um, for the first time in the past couple of years and people are getting excited about it. And I found myself getting excited about it. But then again, like I also started thinking about it because it seems like a lot of these conferences have uh, a hybrid format. Like, so it's, it is from now on going to be possible to participate online just from my um, office in Germany. And then there, there's this question of like, I, I run into the exact same question that you just uh, brought up. Yeah, and I think you know it. it it's I think it's the same question that you talked about, right? You have these external voices and the internal voice, mm-hmm. and, and how do you balance to to listen to them? Um, right, but 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 do you is your so this seems to be like a very much a moral um, kind of very um, planet aware internal voice, and like which is telling you what's the right thing to do. But do you also have an internal voice? Because I definitely have an internal voice which tells me, ah, but it, but wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be nice to actually like see all these places? Do, do, do you have a voice like that? Um, yeah, definitely. I think the the kind of question for me, you know, in a cartoon, it would always be symbolized of like, oh, well, you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the mm-hmm. other, right? And they're and I'm always like, well, you know, of course that's for the visual effect, but where is it really coming from in the body? Um, and then it's like, well. You know, that is coming from my, if we want to break it into some kind of metaphor, that's coming from my heart, like the sense of adventure and like the very right, personal exactly. growth. But my head and my gut, my head is like the logic of like, hey, you know, you've studied this and you know, and my gut is like really like, okay, I've seen the models. I've, t- I've built models myself. I know in my gut that this is not going to work. This is not sustainable. Um, but, you know, the heart is a really powerful voice. Uh, and that sense of adventure and exploration is really strong, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, let me know if you, you figure it out. But it just seems to me like also that, um, yeah, there is there is value to that, right? There is, a val- there is value to having those experiences and growing from them. And also maybe, um, let's say, th- there is value to, in the, ca- in the case of, let's say, conferences in person, um, to in-person intensive collaboration, which I think is different. Um, in some ways than meeting online. Um, So I don't know. I mean, maybe there is something, there might be a middle ground. I'm not sure. Uh, So so maybe allowing yourself to go on some of those trips sometimes or something and, and think a lot about kind of what is the most climate aware way that travel like this can happen. Um, So maybe, I don't know, um, taking trains instead of flying or, Taking this is something that I've been I've been trying to look into because I actually haven't gone back to the U.S. since I graduated in 2018, and I've been wanting to. Um, and so I've been looking at these um, at like taking a um, like ferry or a, so going on a cruise ship uh, because they have they, they call these repositioning cruises where you like the cruise ship is going to need to move anyway so it's just going to for a reduced price be able to take people along and of course it's not going to have like the entertainment but uh, what is that um, and then it would take you two weeks um, to get from Europe to the US uh, and it would be comparable in price uh, and, and this is just kind of such an interesting thing because that's how people traveled 
I mean, that's how people used to travel, right? Uh, for for most of history when we had the means to. Um, and I don't know, it just now it feels like, oh, it's going to take so long. Like, how is that? How does that even fit into the rest of the kind of infrastructure that we have, like in terms of, um, yeah, just things moving so fast and having a certain amount of, you'd have to take, holidays probably for that time so it's basically if it's two weeks in each direction uh then that's just that's my month that's that's uh, all of like holidays that i get for, get in a year uh yeah so you get to stand, stand in america have a cheeseburger and then go back exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's interesting the repositioning crews i'm gonna have to look into that um because maybe it's a good time also to go go get work done um, right Speaking, Without distraction. Speaking of work, I, I have I have a question to circle back to to your big story. Um, imagine for a moment, and this might seem far off to imagine, uh, but please try to imagine for a moment that your PhD is finished, uh, that you that you have dressed in the gown, you have given the presentation, everybody has clapped, um, they've done all the ceremonies, and the next morning you are you're sitting at home enjoying the basking in the light of being finished, and your phone rings. Oh, right. Uh, and it's a, it's a big, big, big named person from uh, one of these big name tech companies in Silicon Valley. And they say, uh -huh. you know, Sasha, well, we, you know, we were interested in you some years ago and we've been following your career ever since. And we, we have the perfect position for you. We'd like to come. Um, what, what will it take to get us, to get you to come to California? Wow. Oh, that's an excellent question. I mean, that's true. I mean, also, also the, the point that you're making that this is, I mean, also probably not a decision that I had made at that point and am at this point, uh, at this point, like forever saying no to, but it's a decision that could be made at a later, later point too. Um, yeah, I'm not, that's a really good question. I think there's a part of me that's still curious. There's a uh, curious to kind of face all of these things that I told you that like these moral dilemmas to see that world from the inside. Um, I mean, I think I would be like worried that I might kind of, for lack of a better word, get sucked into it and find it difficult to then um, not make that permanent. And also I think I have this fear still of um, losing touch with reality and like the fear of, um, yeah, like living someone else's life again, uh, or have the prospect of living someone else's life again. Um, but I think I'd be curious to do it. So, so at that point, actually, um, it was a one-year contract with the possibility of extension at that point. Um, and at that point, it was actually like one of the reasons why it didn't seem like such a great option, because if they hadn't um, given me the extension, and then if I hadn't found anything else in the meantime, then basically I I would have not had any options. Um, but I think now, if that uh, that person who called me from the big uh, tech company um, told me that they are giving me a one year contract, then I would say, well, maybe that maybe that's interesting. Um, so just basically uh, knowing that that's and maybe even without the possibility of extension. So just saying like 12 months is what is what it's going to be. Um, and then also if I got to um, maybe negotiate what kinds of things I would work on. And if I did things that are, first of all, in the research direction, uh, but also 
where I would think ahead about kind of this, maximizing the social value of it, I think for a year I would do it. Wow. So it, it seems like that kind of concept of risk has flipped on its head for you. Um, because you, you talked about growing up as a child in a very risk averse culture of stability and mm-hmm. you know, we need the money. And now you say, actually, I prefer to have the financially riskier option. Um, if that means that I have the freedom and kind of also the ability to still have control over my own destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I think it's also, uh, it's also a spectrum of, uh, financial risk, right? So at this point, I think I feel, um, like stable and um, so financially stable and safe and secure enough that um, I think I'm going to be fine. And it's not like, so even kind of the the resources and savings that I do have are not what, what was available to my family when I was growing up, let's say. Um, And so I think now, yes, it is maybe a less kind of, lucrative situation, but I think it's still a comfortable and safe situation. So it's not like I am willing to put uh, everything kind of at stake and um, in order to try something out, like not that I'm actually so impressed by people who do do that. Uh, So for instance, I kind of also in an accidental chance encounter um, got missed the train connection at one point and ended up meeting two ballet dancers uh, on a tr- train platform and talking to, to them who are just basically, uh, yeah, who, who knew that that was something that they wanted to do and knowing the fact that that comes with a lot of risks. Um, and they had both, I mean, at this point, they have full-time jobs with uh, the theater here, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but they both had the times when they, worked all sorts of odd jobs and really kind of struggled and weren't sure where the next um, kind of dance related opportunity was going to come from. And I'm not sure if I would be able to, like, I would at this point be willing to take a risk like that. I think probably not. Um, Yeah, but I'm very impressed by people who do. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, there, there's a spectrum to it. And I think, Anybody, and I speak from personal experience, anybody who, who steps into the, into any art-related field uh, and says, okay, I want this to be my profession, is knowing that that's a big risk and that that comes with a right. lot of baggage and, and associated issues. Um, and so I'm lucky that I can do that as a, as a side piece and then have my, my own career. But I know plenty of people who are also working as professional artists and then it is really... You know, the starving artist cliche is a cliche for a reason, um, right. which means that it's not true and it has like plenty of truth in it. Uh, I want to be conscious of your time. So I don't want to, you know, we, you and I can, can talk for hours and hours uh, as we have uh, several times before. Um, but before we, we start to rush out, I want to zoom out for a minute um, because I, I kind of lied to you when I said that I have one big question. Uh, ah. Because I have two, uh, and, and, and there's another one coming. Out? There's another one coming, and I ask everyone this question uh, at the end because I think it's important that we, you know, we look out, step out of the personal story we've been in, and, and look at the global story. And we've already talked about it a little bit, um, but I'm wondering, looking back at the conversation, looking back at your story and your experience, what should we as a community and a society take away from your experience? Mm-hmm. 
I think there is a very kind of surface, so obvious answer on the surface. And I don't know if that's, that's, or maybe it's an end answer, but I think one, the first thing that springs to mind is, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but it might be like people might have similar experiences that if like something like you actually might have an answer within yourself and you, you might have these internal voices uh, and just giving them credit maybe. And to me, at least it has, it has felt very good to listen to them, especially maybe not in the moment, in the moment it felt very confusing. Um, but then afterwards um, it, it's a very, it's been very satisfying to, um, to say, well, these voices that have been there all along, like, I'm so glad that I actually listened to them. Yeah. Yeah, as long as it's the, often, the good mm -hmm. voice, right? You don't want to listen to the to the other one. <laughs> the devil on your shoulder? Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> sometimes he's more fun, you know. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. I think, you know, that you started with that kind of idea of all of these external voices and, and then feeling left out. And I think everyone through their life has had that experience, um, whether they are on what we're going to say is the right or the wrong side of the decision. Um, I think you also made a good point in saying, well, it's hard to judge even in retrospect mm -hmm. what is right and wrong. Um, and we can do a whole nother series about path dependence and, and uh, where that leads. Um, but before we, we start to wrap up, I always offer to, to the uh, person who's sharing their story um, an opportunity to say, you know, we covered a lot of ground, but is there something that we didn't talk about or an issue that you really wanted to bring to the front or something that you've been working on that you would like to promote and share with the world? Uh, the floor is yours for, for anything and everything. Um, so this is probably not one of the things that you listed, uh, but I want to say happy birthday to my dad because <laughs> it's, it's his birthday today. Um, and I wish I could be with him at the moment too, uh, today to celebrate. Uh, but I'm celebrating in spirit and it's someone who is just very special to me and um, from whom I think, who taught me a lot of the, or um, kind of taught me to be patient at, the, at times when, um, when I managed to um, uh, and kind of let things develop and uh, let things take their course. And also has a lot of um, just who's very inquisitive mind and love for language and puzzles. I think I have partially inherited. Um, yeah. And who I love very much. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful and very beautiful <laughs> and wish your father the best of birthdays. Thank you. Uh, too bad we won't be producing and releasing today because that would be right. a cool <laughs> birthday present. But as soon as it's out, uh, perhaps you will give it a listen uh, and make it all the way to the end. And then did hear this nice words that you had to say. Uh, so thank you once again for sharing these wonderful, a whole bunch of little stories kind of fell out after your big story. Uh, so I have at least four uh, for other stories that you shared with us. So thank you for sharing all of those stories and the wonderful conversation. Um, and we will. Yeah, thank you so much, Connor. I mean, I've really uh, enjoyed being being here and talking to you. No problem. And uh, and we will be in touch soon uh, to catch up on the rest. So so thank you, thank you once again. Thank you, too. Thank you from the Dutch International Storytelling Center 
This has been Disc Radio. This episode was edited and produced by Connor McMullen, with outro music by Boomy Goldson. Please tune in next time for more stories. Absolutely, yeah, and it feels like, in a sense, I have my own back. Like there, there is the Sasha from the past now. I, can, can you relate to this? Like that. Uh, I don't know, they're, they're like different Connors at different uh, parts of your life, like different junctions who are now like rooting for you and like, I've got your back. Yeah.